Now, let me tell you what uh, I, I'm really excited to introduce to you our speaker today is Tom Elliff. Tom Elliff has served in many capacities in Southern Baptist life. He's been the Southern Baptist Convention president. He has been the president of the International Mission Board. Uh, he has led great churches, uh, especially in Oklahoma at Eastwood Baptist in uh, Tulsa, and then First Southern Dell City in Oklahoma City. Uh, but Tom is a, a dear friend. When I Excuse me, Tom is a dear friend. When I went to Oklahoma City as uh, my first time to be a pastor there, uh, Tom was pastoring for Southern Dale City there, a large church. And I remember many times I would go to his office and I go, Tom, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And we, he would just be patient with me and encourage me and give me some counsel and direction. And just over the years has been such a dear friend, wonderful pastor, wonderful preacher. And I wanted you to hear him. So uh, several months ago, I said, Tom, is there any slot on your calendar that you could come down and just uh, preach to our people? I'd love that. And he said, how about this date? So we got it dialed in. So I'm really excited for you to hear this man has been such an influence in my life. So would you show him some love and give him a great Colville welcome to Tom Ellis? Thanks, Craig. God bless you. Yeah, he would say to me, I don't know what to do. And I'd look at him and say, I don't either. <laughs> so if you sometimes think your pastor doesn't know what to do, I taught him. <laughs> exactly. I love your pastor. I thank God for him. And uh, I'm so encouraged to be here this morning. I'll be honest with you, it's always a humbling experience to preach the Word of God anywhere. And uh, so to have this privilege this morning is just, just wonderful. And I'm glad Diana could be with me. Diane and I have been married slightly over a year, so I guess it's okay for us to have a baby, honey. Um, need to get started. I'm 74, so we need triplets right off the bat. I, uh, my husband, my uh, wife of 49 years passed away, Jeannie, and her husband of 47 years passed away, and uh, about almost two years ago now, I was explaining to the Lord how lonely I was, and the phone rang. And uh, we begin visiting, and I, I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but I will just say to you that God has blessed me immensely. Her husband was a pastor, Wayne Barber. Some of you who have taken Precept Ministries uh, men's course um, know Wayne very, very well. And Wayne passed away after a long illness with Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, we've just, we just been having a great time together. And so I want you, Donna, would you, honey, would you stand over here, please? I want you to see my wife and welcome her this morning. Now, let me ask you, if you will, please open your Bible to uh, the 95th Psalm, Psalm 95. We're going to be looking at that in the next few very, uh, few minutes. Um, I'd like to do four things this morning, and I want to tell you about this on the outset so that you'll have uh, an understanding of the focus and of the direction of the message this morning. First of all, I'm going to ask you a question. And uh, in a few moments, in fact, I'm going to ask you to respond to the question that I ask. And after that, I want to tell you a story, not just any story. It's not a, not a fictional story. It is a story right straight out of the Scripture. As a matter of fact, not only is there biblical evidence for the reality of the story, there's, there's even extra biblical evidence for its authenticity, not that we need that at all. 
And, but, but you need to hear this story because it's so descriptive of where many of us find ourselves. And then I want to, I want to make an appeal as, as a preacher, and I'm just going to level with you, as a, as a preacher of the Word of God, um, sometimes I feel like as if I'm an attorney arguing a case before a jury. Let me put it that way. And, and when an attorney argues a case before a jury, he does so because he wants them to render a verdict. And, and so I unashamedly tell you that, that my prayer is that you would render the correct verdict this morning. There is a great deal at stake in this verdict. And my prayer is that you would render the correct verdict. And then finally, I want to give an invitation. And invitations come in all sizes and shapes. Sometimes uh, invitations are altar calls. You think Billy Graham crusade or Franklin Graham crusade. And uh, sometimes here in your own church. Other times uh, they are at a coffee table or are extended other ways. And I'll share with you this morning how we're going to respond, how we can respond to the invitation. By the way, so, sometimes when you say the word invitation, people get a little, a little skittish. Um, but the reality is, and you need to hear this, that the invitation, the idea of the invitation is not something that some preacher somewhere thought up. Uh, the invitation is God's idea. And if I had time this morning, I'd take you on a journey through the scripture and just show you all of the invitations that God initiated, beginning with Genesis chapter 7, when God invites Noah and his family into the ark, which Jesus said later is a picture of salvation. As you recall, God shut the door. When you trust Christ, then you are secure. And you just go all the way through the scripture. And if, if you go five verses up from the last verse in the Bible, you'll find an invitation. There the spirit and the bride, the church say, say come. And so in the middle, we find Christ in the gospel saying, come unto me. And I believe it's because the Lord does not want you or me to separate the idea of our faith from our actions. Sometimes we say, well, faith is not works. Yes, but faith, faith works. It always has an attendant activity. And Jesus could have, he could have pronounced everybody in any of those Galilean towns healed. But, it, but instead he gave them an invitation, you stretch out your hand, or you men take up your bed and walk, or you, you, uh, you, you ten lepers, you, you go show the priest. There was, always a, there was always an attendant activity associated with faith. Uh, if you look at the, um, don't, you don't need to turn to this passage, but if you were to do a study of the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which is the great, as you know, roll call of men and women of faith, not one of those people in that chapter are famous because of what they thought or how they felt. They're famous because they did what God said. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Enoch walked with God. Noah prepared an ark. Abraham went out. Jacob and Isaac blessed. Moses forsook. See the attendant activity, the active verb with each of those. And so, so faith has a response to it. So at the close of this message, when, when I urge you to respond, I'm only saying, do what God tells us to do. In some way, take the truth that you've heard and respond in the correct fashion. All right. 
And so we'll close with that time of invitation. And I'll, as I said, we'll explain the response. So, so now, first of all, here's the question. Are you ready for this? Uh, is there in your life, and I, and I want us to be honest. I wish I could come sit beside you and demand that you be honest, but I, I, I can't do that. But um, just be honest. And, and you're, I'm not going to ask you to be... Uh, uh, to reveal anything to people around you about this, except for the fact that you, you would admit to this truth. Is there in your life any specific area? God has, has he, he's put his hand up on that area. And he said to you, I want to change. I want you to decide for me. And you would admit this morning that as of yet, as of sitting here this morning in this service, you have yet to accommodate God's plan. Um, now, it could be something as significant as trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Coming to that moment where you repent of sin and receive Christ who died on the cross for you, as your Savior, this risen Lord Jesus, as your, it could be that. It could be seated here. You've been in church all your life. Maybe this is your first time, but you know that you have never made that decision, although you admit you're a sinner and you need Jesus. It could be that. It could be that. It could be a, a, the matter of joining this church. That's no insignificant thing, folks. God, God tells us that he plants the solitary in families, that, that, that there's no place in the scripture where God, you know, pats a, a lone wolf Christian on the shoulder and says, boy, you're, you're really good to separate yourself from everybody else in the world. No, he wants us to be a part of a church family that holds us accountable and unites our effort with theirs to accomplish more together than we could alone. And so it could be that you've never joined a church. You're here this morning. And uh, you've been thinking about it, you've been praying, but you would say, as of yet, I haven't done that. I'm not in a church where I'm serving. Now, those are some obvious. How about the ones that are, that are not quite so obvious? Suppose there's some sin in your life that God is speaking to your heart about. You, you know that it's sin. He has convicted you by his Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a sin of, of commission, something that you are doing that you know does not please God. And he in his love has convicted you. But you would admit today in this service, I haven't accommodated God. I haven't surrendered to his little lordship of Christ. It could be a sin of, of omission. Uh, something that you're not doing that you know you should do. Maybe there's a relationship out there that has gone, it's been severed for a long time. God has wanted you to go to that person or to those people, and, and to make things right. Maybe it's a matter of forgiving someone from your heart, and you, you found that you, you just don't want to do that, and here you are years and miles away, and yet in the middle of the night, you're, you're, you're lying there awake, and your emotions are on a roller coaster, and you, you begin to do an inquisition of that person, and you haven't resolved it, and God's speaking to your heart, and he says, I want you to deal with this. It, it, it could be something you need to say to a child or to or to a parent. I, I don't know what it is. It could be a matter of your spiritual life. It could, be, it could be your devotional life. Sitting here this morning, you could say, I'll just be honest with you, I don't have much of a devotional life. I'm, and, and yet you're convicted of that. I, I need to spend more time in the Word of God. I need, I need to spend more time 
actually praying, not just endorsing prayer, but actually entering into the activity of prayer, and you haven't done that, and God's convicted, you, you know this is, God is speaking to your heart about this, but you would admit, I'm not going to ask you to admit to what it is, but you would admit this morning that sitting right here in this place, so far, you have yet to accommodate God. You have yet to do what he is asking you to do. How many of us would say that this morning? Raise your, raise your hands all over, the, all over the auditorium. Good night. Almost all of us would say, yes, God is speaking to my heart about some issue in my life. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't said yes to him. I haven't accommodated his will in my life. All right, that's the question. And so many of you have been so honest to say, there is in my life some area God's touched. I know what I need to do, but as of yet, I have not done it. All right? Here's the story. God, from, from earliest of time, determined that there would be a place on this earth that would be a constant reminder that there was just one God, not many, and that the way to him was the way of faith, that is, trusting in him. And so he moved Abram, a man of faith, years ago to a place we now call the promised land or Israel or, or the holy land. And he said, this is where I want you to be. And if you look at it geographically, it's the crossroads of the world. Hardly a day would go by that you don't read something or hear something. about. And it's been that way from time immemorial. And so he moved him there to the crossroads of the world where the wicked pagan cultures believed in many gods. And he said, no, 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 there's one. And the way to this God is the way of faith. As you know, under uh, Abraham's grandson, there arose a great famine. The children of Israel went down into Egypt. They overstayed their welcome there. 400 years later, uh, they began to cry out to God for deliverance. They said, we want to go back home where we belong. And so God raised up Moses. He educated him in the finest tradition of Egyptian scholarship. You know the story. And then through a series of events, Moses ends up on the backside of the desert where for 40 years he trains as a shepherd. And then at the age of 80, which encourages an old man like me, at the age of 80, then he brings him back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. And you, you, I don't need to tell you that part of the story. I mean, this incredible series of events, the, the plagues, the Passover, walking out, crossing the sea on dry land. I mean, God performed miracle after miracle to rescue over 1.8 million people. Can you imagine moving a town that size through the wilderness? But, but it happened. Interestingly enough, however, it did not happen without complaint. I don't know if these were Baptists or not, but anyway, there, it, it did not happen without there being some murmuring among, among the people. You can, you can only imagine. One of these, by the way, early on had to do with water. Well, I can understand that a little bit, but they, that's when Moses uh, struck the rock and out of it gushed 
water. But they were, they were complaining. They were arguing. In fact, that, that uh, place got, got the name Meribah, which means strife, and Masa, which means to test. And uh, uh, it, it, it's one of two Meribahs in the Scripture. There is a second one. Uh, God gave them water there, but, but, but later on in the second year, well, uh, they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. This is one with which everyone here is familiar if you know the Bible at all. God said to Moses, I want you to take 12 men, one man from every tribe, send him in to the land of promise. It's your land. I've given it you. In fact, he uses past tense there. It's already yours. I want you to go in and see what I've given you and bring back evidence to get everybody excited because that's where you're going. You recall, they went over into the land. They spent 40 days. That's significant. They came back. They brought this, this evidence of incredible bounty. And they, they, they said, no, no, no question. This is, a, this is, you won't believe this place. But, they said, there is a problem. There are the descendants of Anak. And we have evidence of this. There, there's these, these people, they're huge in there. We look like grasshoppers. There's no way we can do that. At least 10 of the spies said that. And the people began to cry out, but, but, Mo, but Moses had a couple of guys, Joshua and Caleb. And, and these young men said, no, 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 the, the issue, don't you remember all those miracles? The issue is not the size of the giants. The issue is the size of our God. And he said, we can do it. If he's with us, we can do it. And, the, and this business meeting, I mean, it, it, I hope the one you're having doesn't end up this way. Ah, incredible. But, because God showed up. Can you imagine? God shows up at the business meeting. And he, he was not pleased. And here's what he said. He said, uh, I've had it. You know, I, I've done all these things for you to show you what I'm capable of doing. You are my people. I love you. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. You're not going to take the direct route. You're not going to go in one year for every day the spies were in there. And, and in fact, you're going to wander there so long that all of you adults here, every, every, your carcass is going to be left in the desert here. You're going to be buried in the wilderness. There's only, only two men alive of, of, of adult age that are going to get to go in, and that's Joshua and Caleb because there's a, there's a different spirit in them. And... They thought about it through the night. They said, you mean, you mean we're going to die here in this desert if we don't go ahead? You know what? We changed our mind. We, we think we'd like to go in. And Moses said, too late. And they said, no, it's not too late. I mean, eight hours ago, God wanted us to go in. This is time to go in. And, and Moses said, no, no, it's, it's, it's too late. God gave you a moment, a window of opportunity to obey him. You didn't do it. You didn't respond in faith. It's too late. They said, you know, Moses, there's a lot of things about your leadership, but this, you're just so intractable. It cannot be too late. And so they just marshaled an army, went out and got on the ridge, and they were slaughtered. And they came back to Moses and they said, you know what? He said, what? We think it's too late. And he said, I tried to tell you, it's too late. God gave you a moment to obey him, to trust him. And you would not take it. Now, with that in your mind, let's open the scripture. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. This is one of the scriptures, one of many scriptures that tell us about that event. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the entire third chapter of Hebrews is dedicated to this whole issue of being hard-hearted. Here is this psalm, Psalm 95. 
And it begins with praise, a reminder of who we are. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness by night, with the ten-stringed lute, with the harp, with the resounding music upon the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I'm reading from Psalm 92. Turn to Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Is that Okay. As I'm reading this, I'm saying, this is not the text for the message that I'm preaching, but this is, okay? <laughs> Psalm 95, the right string, but the wrong yo-yo. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it. And His hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And now here's where everything changes. Based on who we are and who you are, today... If you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as in the days of Moss in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. I said there are people who err in their heart. They don't know my ways. And so I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest." So there's the question, is there anything in your life that you're aware of right now where you're seated, God's put his hand on and said, I want to change. And you know, you've yet to accommodate him. Maybe it's something that's been a habit for years. Maybe it's a secret sin, no secret to God. I want to change. And you've not accommodated. Here's the story. The children of Israel saying no to God and ending up dying in the wilderness because of their lack of faith, their lack of cooperation with him. Here's the appeal. If you look at this passage in Psalm 95, you see this phrase, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Why is God so concerned that you and I not harden our hearts toward him. I want you to think of three words. This is the appeal. Three words. The first word is the word hear. Today, if you would hear his voice, H-E-A-R. Whose voice? God's voice, the creator, the sustainer, of the universe, the one who holds your heart in his hands. As a matter of fact, if he doesn't give your heart permission to take its next beat, you will not leave this auditorium alive. Today, if you will hear his heart, the profound significance of this voice, this is not just anyone who's speaking to you. Unless you were being dishonest, a few moments ago when you raised your hand, you were saying, I know God is speaking to me. Not my neighbor, not my friend, not, not, I know that God 
is speaking to me. I know what it's about. Notice the, the subject. I know God is speaking to me. Notice the concern here. I know, I know God is speaking to me, and I know what it's about. He said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. I, I, I seek to bring some kind of clarity and um, a sense of... of um, gravity to this idea. And, and maybe, maybe this will help. Uh, my mother, very loving, wonderful mother of four. Um, she was filled with life, very ebullient, joyful kind of person all the time. But I can say to you that there were times when she would tell us to do things. And then there were some times when she'd say, you know, she's talking about getting dressed or making up our bed or cleaning the room up or getting ready for school or whatever. And there would be times when she would use these words. Do you hear me? Now, when she used those words, we knew that to refuse to obey, not just hear, not just exercise our auditory capabilities, we knew that the failure to obey would be accompanied by severe consequences. It's not just hearing the sound. It is hearing with a response. That's what the word means here. Today, if you hear his voice, you who said, I know God is speaking to me and I know what it's about. So obviously, a great number of us in this auditorium are hearing God right now. The word hear. The second word is the word heed. In other words, do what I say. It's put in a negative here in the Hebrew language. Harden not your heart. Or you want to twist it around in a positive fashion. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to avoid hardening your heart. Harden not your heart. Now, why is God so concerned that you and I not live comfortably with a hard heart? You say, well, I, you know, I... Preacher, you know, don't, don't call me a hard-hearted person. Well, not to respond to what the holy God of this universe is saying to us is pretty significant. Why would God be so concerned about that? Well, first of all, hardening your heart requires a conscious effort on your part. See, see, if you're not doing what God says, you can't blame a third grade teacher who looked at you cross-eyed. You can't say, well, I grew up in the wrong part of town, or I was in a single-parent family, or somebody else is to blame for the way. No, no, no. If you have hardened your heart to God, you did it. You did it. He, that's what he's saying here. Harden not your heart. By the way, it, it reg registers a, a cumulative effect to harden your heart. In other words, it, it's not something that just... Um, has a momentary pain to it, if you did choose to, to not respond to God in the way that he has indicated by his spirit through convicting you out of love, it has incredible, it gets easier and easier. 
The word that is used here for hard refers to the remarkable capacity your skin has to build up successive layers of skin in order to resist irritation. Now, the irritation doesn't go away. Your sensitivity begins to die. And I'll guarantee you this, some of us who raised our hand here in this auditorium this morning, God has been speaking to you about this for years. And somehow you've just come to make a treaty with it. Well, I don't do this, I don't do that. And, and yeah, I know I should be better than this. Ha, ha, ha. Well, this is, you know, I'm like everybody. I guess I'm just one of those backsliders. No, God doesn't see it that way. It is only in his love and grace that he, that he has bothered you about the issue to start with. He's wanting you to conform to the image of Christ, his son. That's what it says in Romans 8, 29. But this is in the way. You see, the gravity of a sin is not, is not measured necessarily in, in whether that sin is, in your mind, some big sin. It may not be the sin that's so big. It may be your constant rejection of obedience to God that's become big. And by the way, it just gets easier and easier to say no to God. This wasn't the first time the children of Israel had said no. This wouldn't be the last time. They just got better and better and better at it. So this is a big deal to God. That we heed, that we do what he is asking, what he is convicting us about, that we respond favorably, that we surrender to his lordship. This is a big deal to God. There's a book I read years ago by Harper Shannon. The title of the book is worth buying it. It's called Trumpets in the Morning, although I met Harper and talked to him a little bit about the book. It's a very interesting book to me. Uh, Harper was a, a pastor and a teacher, and, and, and he said in this book that in the introduction of the book, as I recall, it's been years since I've read the book, but he said in the introduction of this book that, uh, that uh, some time ago, there's a young man who came to know Christ, I believe in college, he was so gifted, and he went on to seminary, he was called to preach, went on to seminary, and it wasn't very long before he was pastoring a, a, just a, a, an incredible church, just took off like a rocket, everybody talked about him and, and, you know, his ministry and what God was doing with it. One day, about midlife, he just stood up and resigned, he just resigned. I mean, uh, tongues wagged, was it a moral issue? Was he experiencing burnout? You know, nobody could figure it out until about three weeks later when this pastor, in, instead he became an employee of a very prominent industrialist who was a member of the church and, and with his gifts, you know, and his uh, gregarious spirit, well, he, he moved through the corporate chain and pretty soon he was right up the top. He hired and fired everybody but the president. Okay, so here's this guy, uh, former pastor, who is now in this corporation, and, and, and one day he's in his luxury vehicle, and he's got a young man beside him, and he's taking him out to show him one of the plants, one of the factories they have. And this young man is in a soul-winning training class in his church. And so he decides that he's going to witness to this guy. And he says, sir, he said, uh, have you come to the point in your life where you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? And this guy just reared back. And he said, oh, son, he said, I, I know what you're doing, young man. He said, you're witnessing. He said, I even know the next question. And, and he said, let me tell you my story. And he told him his story. And the kid just sat there slack-jawed. He just, he couldn't believe it. 
But he was not to be, he not to be put aside that easily. They drove on in silence for a little bit. And he said, could I ask you another question? He said, uh, sure, what's that? He said, do you ever miss it? I mean, doing what God says. Do you ever miss that? And then it got really quiet in the car. And the man answered it in this fashion. He said, um, hmm, do I miss it? Well, he said, um, let me answer it this way. Uh, in, in days gone by, when kings would get their armies together for battle, on the morning of the battle, the troops would awaken to the sound of trumpets. And I guess I'd have to be honest enough to tell you, young man, that ever since I said no to God, I've never again heard the sound of trumpets in the morning, that call to the exhilarating life of a man of God. And some of you would have to confess this morning that it's been weeks, months, years since you've heard the sound of trumpets in the morning, awakened to this idea, yes, because there is in your life an area that you have walled off and said to God, you cannot invade this and you cannot have it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to not do it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to plant my feet. I will get my way, not yours. Here, heed is the second word. Here's the third word. It is the word hurry. Hurry. What does he say here? Today, if you hear his voice. You say, well, you know, maybe he's just speaking generically when it's convenient. No, no, no. Today, this is, the Hebrew word here is the word yom. It means in the warm hours. Today, now, while it's hot on you. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't make this choice again. Not one more, not one more day, not one more, not one more moment. You see, this is the obvious time to respond. That's what this is about. This is the opportune time. It's, it's warm on you. It's hot. It's hot on you. But let me just say, it's the only time you can respond. You can't respond yesterday. You didn't. You can't respond tomorrow. You don't own it. You're not living there. The only time you can respond is right now. And you raised your hand, and, and it, maybe you didn't, but you should have. And you said, I know God is speaking to me. I know exactly what it's about. It may seem little to me, but I see it takes huge proportions because it means I'm saying no to the holy God of the universe. I know not only that he's speaking to me, I know what he's speaking about. And God says, today, hurry, hurry. I received a phone call one time when I was pastoring Oklahoma City, Greg. Lady uh, said, Brother Tom, this might be a good time to come witness to my, my husband. I, I thought to myself, you know, she has called so many times and I have gone so many times to talk to her husband until I'm blue in the face. And he, 
I said, uh, is there some reason? She said, well, he's in the hospital. He said, he's had an event. Not bad. Everything's going to be okay, but he's in the room and I'll be here and it would be a good time for you to talk to him about trusting Christ as his savior. So at the hospital, stood his bed as I had so many times, I said to him, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, wouldn't, you know, this is sort of a reminder to you that this is life or death issue. Wouldn't you want to trust Jesus as your savior? Here's what he said. He said, preacher, I don't have time. He said, they're coming in in a little bit to run some tests and I just don't have time right now. I prayed for him, went home, went back to the church office, in fact, where I got a phone call from her within 20 minutes saying, Brother Tom, he's gone. Didn't have time. Children of Israel didn't have time. Didn't have to, I can't, we can't do that. That doesn't make sense to do it God's way. That's ridiculous. Don't have time. You don't have time. This attorney says to you, the jury, make the right decision. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. 